0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the San Juan Snowcast. I'm your host, Chris. Today is Wednesday, February 16th, 2022, and you're tuned in to episode 17. Well, can you believe it, folks? We're more than halfway through February, and we've only had four to six inches for the entire month thus far in the San Juans. But tonight, it's the full moon. And according to the Farmer's Almanac, it's the snow moon. And sliding into our range as we speak, can you guess? Yep, it's a snowstorm to go along with our snow moon. And this is looking like a real one, folks, with potential for 4 to 8 inches across the entire state of Colorado. We've also had some pretty close calls lately with avalanches here in the Wands and across the state. And on top of all that, it's the Close Calls Forum tomorrow night in Telluride. So, what better time than now to dig into the state of the snowpack, take a look at the incoming storms, analyze a few of these close calls, and ultimately do the mid-season systems check, just to make sure that we still have our heads in the game. It isn't spring yet, people, and I for one am still pining for more powder. So don't give up on those backcountry dreams just yet. Bust out that blue wax and fill in those core shots, folks, because the temps are dropping, the clouds are building, and because the snowcast starts now. Well, all right. So the Snowcast is sponsored in part by Mountain Trip, a purveyor of good times in the mountains and trips of a lifetime. Hey, do you want a ski guide to show you around the Bear Creek backcountry outside Telluride? Check out Mountain Trip. Do you want to freeze your fingers off and get some air under your toes? Heck, book yourself a nice climbing day with Mountain Trip. And are you really sure you want to hear more of my voice? All right. Well, then sign up for one of our upcoming avalanche courses. I'm instructing a rec level 2 course on the weekend of March 18th through the 20th. That's going to be based in the backcountry around Telluride, and we are still looking to fill it up. So, check out mountaintrip.com to sign up or feel free to shoot me a message directly for more information. This podcast is also chugging along thanks to you all. I'm still getting the occasional Venmo donation from you, the listener, and I just want to say thanks to all those folks who are helping this grassroots podcast stay alive. So, I want to throw a big shout out and thank you to Emily John, Shane, James, Mitch, Dan, Sam, and Dylan. Y'all are awesome people, and you'll be getting your Snowcast stickers very soon. Speaking of stickers, yes indeed, I've got a big old batch of those arriving on my doorstep any day now, and once they come, I'm hoping to ship out to all the folks who've reached out to me. So if you messaged me weeks ago, but still haven't gotten any stickers, then dang, I'm sorry, but just know that I haven't totally forgotten about you, and I'll get to it as soon as those new stickers arrive. Well, that's enough housekeeping for now. Let's dive in by starting things off this week with a look at the state of the snowpack before we dig into the forecast for this incoming storm. Well... What a year 2022 has been so far for our winter. Do you remember when our snowpack was basically at 150% of average on January 1st? Well, in the month and a half since then, the snow water equivalent curve has gone completely flat as we've been riding out this high pressure hell. And now? Well, now we're back to 89% of our median snowpack for the river basins of the San Juan Mountains. And it's pretty clear when you drive around the wands that snow coverage is meager, the winds have been flip-flopping from southwest to north, and have basically assured that there's not a single speck of fun powder left to ride above treeline. What a party pooper. And then, if the winds weren't enough, the sun, rising higher in the sky each day, has been torching anything with a slight tilt to the south, creating melt-freeze crusts where the snow still persists, but mostly just melting out huge swaths of alpine south-facing terrain. Talk about fun police. The wind and the sun have combined to basically ruin our fun, and they've taken away all the soft riding conditions above treeline. The resulting effect for me has become a dire case of the midwinter blast. And that's partly because when we have widespread snow coverage, the white surfaces blanketing the landscape reflect the strong radiation of the sun, and that allows our ski season to persist way into May and June on most seasons. However, on winters when we have patchy coverage and lots of bare ground, those surfaces are dark and they absorb that solar radiation, heating up the earth and melting out our snowpack more quickly from both the top and the bottom. And do you want to know what's crazy? Well, we're only halfway through February and we're already seeing signs of our dissipating snowpack. Digging in on a south-facing aspect over on Lizard Head Pass the other day, we found percolation tubes extending more than six inches down into the snowpack. Yikes. That's crazy. And I posted a photo of one of these perk tubes to the Instagram a few days ago. And guess what? Not many of you knew what it was. So, allow me to explain. Percolation tubes or percolation columns are essentially icicles that form within the snowpack as liquid water is created at the snow surface through melting, and then it percolates downward through the layered snowpack. Eventually, it freezes solid into a mid-snowpack icicle. And this is an important snowpack observation to look out for in the spring, usually, because it's an indicator that our snowpack is transitioning from a wintry layered snowpack to a spring isothermic snowpack. This meltwater can percolate down through the pack, hit a weak layer or a crust, and then pool at that interface, effectively lubricating that interface and introducing the danger of wet slab avalanche release. So seeing these tubes on a sunny slope in February was a little bit surprising to me but it just goes to show how strong the solar input is becoming and how effectively this can lead to surface melting. At the bottom of this sunny pit that I dug, the ground was completely muddy and I could scoop up a big handful of wet, muddy grass pretty easily. However, 20 feet away in the shade of some big pine trees on the very same south-facing slope, the snowpack was completely different, with cold and dry facets making up the majority of the pack. So, to review... Why do we interpret snow pit findings as just one more data point in our collection of field-based observations? Say it with me now, folks. Spatial variability. Mhm, that's right. And as our temperate weather creates essentially a world with two different snowpacks out there, well, then the variability goes up, and as such, our uncertainty goes up, and our confidence in our understanding of the snowpack dynamics should also go down. Bottom line, things are only going to get more complicated before the snowpack goes into its spring diurnal phase. And with a few storms on the horizon, we just can't let our guards down yet. Mmm, speaking of storms, it just started to lightly snow outside my window here on Wednesday morning. And oh man, is that a sight for sore eyes. The cloud ceiling has been dropping since dawn, and now I can't even see across the valley to look out peak. So let's hope this storm is officially here to stay. Well, for the next 24 hours at least. And before we dive into what this new snow could do to our snowpack, let's take a look at what's getting forecast. That's right. It's time to run the models. Run to the hills. Run for your lives. So like I mentioned in an earlier episode, I shelled out 60 bucks at the start of this winter to have access to weathermodels.com where I will often run a series of computer models to check out the projected snowfall totals. Now on this site, I can look at the ECMWF, which is the European Center for Medium-Range Weather Forecasts, aka the Euro model, and then I will compare that to the GFS, Global Forecasting System, aka the American model, and the NAM, the North American model. Now, all these models are just essentially a bunch of computers crunching different sources of data, and finding the commonalities amongst these models is essentially how you figure out where these models are in agreement, quote unquote. It also takes some time and experience to understand the overall trends in these models. For instance, you can check out some weather model runs on the CAIC website under the forecast tab, then click on weather and tab over to the model forecast page, where the CAIC has their own weather models that you can run for free. One thing you should know, though, is that the CAIC model is almost always bullish, meaning they often overpredict snowfall totals. But between all these different models, you can kind of find the average prediction, and that usually is somewhat accurate. Now, I'm just a hack hobbyist meteorologist, but folks like Joel Gratz with OpenSnow have figured out this process to a T, and I really enjoy reading Joel's blog posts in the run-up to a big storm. And that's because you realize that Meteorology is just one big guessing game. We're just basing our guess off of the data being crunched by the computers and by our ability to interpret their calculations. But anyways, I digress. I mean, don't we really just care about how much it's going to snow? Yes, 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 yes. So here's what the models are spitting out. Basically, every model shows this storm as a quick hitter, with it entering the wands this afternoon and being fully gone by early morning Thursday. Along the way, we could get two to six inches with some locally higher amounts, depending on storm flow and orographics. For a little bit, there was talk of a north wind bringing higher amounts to the Ure Gorge and to the Grand Mesa, but that prediction is kind of fizzled out. So we're just going to stick with the two to six inches forecast, mostly on the northern half of the Wands. And again, I know it's not very exciting, but hey, it sure is better than nothing. So what lies ahead after this little storm? well, more dry weather and sunshine for at least the next four days with some warmer temperatures coming through on Saturday. Luckily, there's a stronger low pressure system moving down from the Gulf of Alaska, which will help break down this high pressure hell that we've been experiencing and could bring us a few days of unsettled stormy weather for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. And some of the models are pretty optimistic about us seeing a good chunk of new snow on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. But things are still up in the air this far out. Also, it feels a little premature to even mention it, but there is a growing murmur out there amongst the meteorologists that March could be wetter and colder than what we've been experiencing. And if that isn't a reason to hold out hope for a miracle March, then I don't know what else is. So keep your fingers crossed, folks. Miracle March. Miracle March. Miracle March. Funk break! Alrighty. So now let's talk about what this new snow could do to the snowpack and what's been going on lately with avalanches in our area and across the state. Well, with only two to six inches of snow in the forecast, this storm is not going to be adding a lot of stress to our snowpack. Now don't get me wrong, the variety pack of messed up awful surfaces that exist out there currently are not going to jive well with any new load, but I don't expect this new snow to produce a big natural avalanche cycle. If anything, it will just add to the surface instabilities that we've already been dealing with for several weeks. For instance, we know that the northerly slopes near and below treeline harbor super weak, faceted snow at the surface, and folks have still been triggering long-running sloughs, aka loose-dry avalanches, in this weak surface snow. And we should expect that with any new snow falling on these surfaces, well, these sloughs will be larger and also easier to initiate. The loose-dry problem went away in the Alpine because... Well, all the snow that was up there that was loose and dry, it just got hammered by north winds that basically stripped it all away or compressed it into wind slabs. So those winds stiffened the snow surface in some places and scoured it back down to dirt in other places. And in my travels around the local backyard zones, I found some awful punchy and hollow sounding windboard board near treeline on a north facing slope, and I was pretty surprised to find that the wind effect had reached pretty deep down into the trees. So... What has our terrain management strategy been lately? Well, the name of the game in the Alpine as of late has been... Look for the Ripple. Or, one could say, Decipher the Dapple. Or, as some even say, be on the lookout for the orange peel snow. And that's because, even though the wind's created some funky snow in the Alpine, you can still find softer turns if you look for that rippled, textured snow surface. It's totally counterintuitive in my mind, but slopes that look smooth and inviting are actually the most punchy, crusty, and hollow. Whereas slopes that have textured, almost orange peel-looking snow, they tend to be more broken up and feature softer turns. My friend, who works with a local heli-ski operation, told me that their strategy is to fly around until they find a basin with some of that ripple. And they won't even land or look at it if the snow surface looks smooth above treeline. So bottom line, we've got a real mixed bag of surfaces out there. And those depend on aspect and proximity to treeline. But none of them are going to do well if we get a big load on top. Alright, and now let's pivot and talk about some of the recent avalanche activity that's been going on in the San Juans this past week. Because for a long period there, we had low danger and no feedback, as folks poked into all the nooks and crannies hunting out the good snow and finding their adventure out there. During this time, we had some reports of loose dry avalanches, some even as large as D2, But thankfully, no one was really getting caught or carried. Then, on Sunday, things changed, and we started to see slab avalanches again. Now, these are mainly wind slabs above treeline on easterly aspects, but some of them entrained enough snow to become even D2 in size. And the last of these was triggered on Monday on Chicago Peak, and there's a great photo of it from Helitracks on the CAIC website under the Field Reports tab. Elsewhere in the state, this trend is also happening, with more new snow and wind creating wind slabs above treeline that are proving to be reactive to the weight of a skier or a rider. Now, one incident this past week made headlines in all the newspapers, and that happened on Sunday up near Loveland Pass, when a son and his mom went back to the zone they had been in on Saturday to retrieve some rappel gear they had left from the previous day's adventure. As the son traversed across a big wind-loaded slope, it fractured, and he was swept nearly 600 vertical feet down the slope and over a 50 to 80 foot tall cliff. Woof. Amazingly, he landed in debris at the bottom of the slope and was uninjured. His mom spent about 10 minutes digging him out and then they were able to both descend to their car under their own power. The avalanche broke where winds had created a shallow slab over weak faceted snow on the surface of the snowpack, which is pretty much the exact same setup that we've been seeing reactivity on down here in the Wands. Now, this is a pretty amazing story for a number of reasons. First of all, what a badass mom to be out in the Alpine with her son rappelling into ski lines. That's pretty cool. Um, But I do have some key take-home points that have kind of stuck in my mind from this one. Point number one. Shallow wind slabs in the Alpine can pose quite a threat, especially if they're triggered on steep consequential terrain, which, funny enough, is where they often form. Takeaway number two, the skier who triggered the avalanche deviated from his original travel plan and took a shortcut across this hanging snowfield to get to where they had left their repel gear. Apparently their original plan was to avoid the snowfield by going up and around it, but a sudden change in plan could have been one contributing factor to this incident. Takeaway number three, well, I've learned this lesson many times in rock climbing, but no amount of gear is worth risking your life to retrieve. Some slings and carabiners maybe add up to like thirty bucks, and even if you left an entire seventy meter rope up there, maybe we're looking at three hundred dollars worth of gear. I would just recommend you wait until spring to retrieve it. I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I've done dumb shit in the mountains just to booty an old carabiner, a rusty stopper, or a forgotten smashed up Camelot, and honestly, it's not really worth it. And while I can't put myself in these folks' shoes without knowing their whole story, I think there is a good risk versus reward lesson to be had here. So lastly, to wrap it all up, what are the takeaways that we should all have from this rash of recent avalanches? Well, it's just that winter is certainly not over and our period of low danger might be coming to a close. It's time to re-engage the brain and make sure that our heads are still in the game because guess what? There's a lot of winter left and we are looking at a potentially stormy March coming up. I've definitely been feeling the midwinter blahs lately, but as I drove into town the other day looking at a bunch of barren slopes, I remembered summer's gonna be here before we know it, and there are a finite number of days left to slide around on snow, and we should just keep making the most with what we've got. Some say that part of being a San Juan skier is being resilient in the face of prolonged droughts, being able to survival ski in the face of challenging surface conditions, being curious in the face of fistfuls of facets. And being patient during times of sketchy avalanche danger. Nobody said it was going to be easy, but when it's good, it's really good. And isn't that the thing that keeps us coming back for more, time and time again? Well, as Bluto from Animal House once said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And folks, it's time to catch our second wind for the remainder of this backcountry season. Because when the going gets tough! a tough get going who's with me let's go come on Ah! well that's it for this week's show a nice short sweet and snappy one Thanks as always to you for listening, and hey, if you like the show, please help me out by telling some of your friends about it. Moving into the spring, I'll be doing some episodes about how to style your spring ski tour, considerations for what gear you should carry on a spring ski mountaineering objective, and I might even do an episode on how to find slash be the best backcountry touring partner you can be. Hey, do you have an idea for an episode? Please let me know about it. It turns out the most listened episode in the Snowcast Pantheon is number 14, AKA the hot takes episode. And it's kind of funny because for every episode that I have, the ranking of where people are listening in from is essentially the same. For instance, 25% of you are tuned in from Denver. 12% of you are tuning in from Telluride and another 12% listen in Durango. And then about 4% are continuously tuning in from Dallas, Texas. Well, wherever you're listening from, thanks for listening. And please help me out by spreading the word in your community. You can also follow along on Instagram by following San Juan Snowcast, or you can reach out to me directly via email at sanjansnowcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you're in the Telluride area, come on out to the library at 6 p.m. tomorrow night for the next Pi Fund Backcountry Chat. It's going to feature some close call stories told by local ladies from our backcountry community, and I'm hoping to record one of these stories to feature on next week's show. But either way, please come out and support the Pi Fund, which hosts these events and provides avalanche education scholarships to local folks in our backcountry community. All right, that's it. The snow is still slowly swirling around outside my window, and let's hope it just dumps tonight. Keep your fingers crossed. But until next time, take care of each other, friends, and think snow!